Happy Friday and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Apollo 13 Minute, a show where each and every day, Monday through Friday, we go over one minute of probably the greatest space history movie ever made, the 1995 Ron Howard-directed feature, Apollo 13. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm your other host, I'm Chris Henry of the EAA Aviation Museum. And Chris, we made it through a whole nother week and we're still uh, flying around and uh, talking. today's episode is going to be talking about... Urine and uh, Isaac Newton. <laughs> Fantastic, so. two things that just go together, right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, it's just just try to stay stay away from one if you're near the other. Um, but uh, <laughs> we uh, we start with uh, uh, the our Apollo 13 astronauts are floating around in the uh, lunar module. I was as I'm watching this minute, I try to figure out if this is like a weightless moment when they're in the uh, vomit comet trying to film things. But I think this looks kind of uh, studio bound. I noticed that. Uh, Kevin Bacon is hanging from the ceiling and his hair is kind of sticking up on end. Uh, so I think this is a gravity, gravity bound, studio bound uh, image. You know, I, I, I will say I, I know that, you know, parts of it were filmed zero gravity and parts of it were, were sort of improv, if you will. But I do want to give them credit, like even for the stuff that they did in non-zero gravity, um, they did a nice job. Like it, it is hard uh, to tell what's what. Oh, I agree. Yeah. I mean, it's really, this is top notch and uh, it's, it's one of those things when you have to play that game watching the movie saying, I wonder if this is or I wonder if it isn't, then you know you're doing they're doing a good job if you yeah. have to pause and think about it for the moment. You know, you're not you're not seeing I mean, I remember earlier movies and even some later movies where, you know, it's supposed to be weightless but you're seeing them sagging in their chairs or, or leaning up against the wall or things like that or uh, mostly it's the inanimate objects that don't obey. They kind of like hang a certain direction. But uh, this is this is really great, and uh, I think you know even in a- more than an hour, almost an hour and a half into this movie, that that they're still able to uh, fool the eye on that. You feel like they're a hundred thousand miles out. Um, but uh, yeah, beautiful beautiful scene here. Um, they're talking up to uh, they're they're talking to Mission Control, and uh, as I said, they're trying to figure out uh, what to do next with uh, uh, different burns. One of the things they're worried about is uh, dumping waste. Uh, overboard because of course uh, you know every action has an equal and opposite reaction so one of the reactions would be if they dumped waste the if they dumped waste to the to the right then uh, the the whole command service module stack with the lunar module would move to the left and that would set them off course Um, so what we wind up with is uh, what they're what they're talking about there is uh, the waste storage system and though primarily they're worried about uh, a urine dump overboard uh, the waste uh, stowage and disposal system collected all kinds of fluids that was uh, that was floating around the uh, the, the, the capsule, and it's re- rather very involved system. It, it's back in the command module, just underneath the navigation uh, station. That's uh, on the if you picture the center seat of a of a command module, it's right at the feet of the center seat astronaut. Uh, just to the left of it is the, is the storage system, and it basically it's a large. Uh, uh, pl- uh, plastic vinyl bag that holds maybe I think like uh, 15 to 20 gallons of fluid so it's a pretty sizable amount of fluid and it's a large bladder that unfolds and then uh, there's a, a, a shunt 
one is pointed in inward toward the uh toward the capsule and then the other one is pointed out toward space you don't need to it, there's no power involved in using it all they do is when you uh when you turn the uh when you turn the shunt uh the system uh is exposed to space and since there's more pressure on the inside of the of the bladder than on the outside of the spacecraft the bladder will empty out into space and that dumps not only the urine but any uh <coughs> excuse me any water uh that's that's you know generated from uh, the fuel cells that, that or uh, any, anything that would generate water inside um used food or things any any kind of water that they use for cleaning that would go into the uh, into the bladder and then out into space so that bladder would fill up uh rather rapidly and uh one way to one way to stop that is to uh, uh use the uh, uh the urine con- uh, collection bags uh, and just not not uh, uh fill fill up the bladder again um they really didn't have a lot of uh urine collection bags so i'm not sure i guess they were using the ones that were in the lem um, but they really didn't have a lot of place for stowage on that kind of thing. So it's gonna, it was getting a little bit hectic as the days went on. Was there any kind of gauge or that would let them know if that system was getting filled and it was time for a dump, or was it just sort of a, a guess type of thing? Yeah, there was a. Um, it, it's funny they they had uh, they had a like a rheostat like on a like in a fuel tank. It was a rheostat, and it even had sing, signal condition. You know, the, the SCE kind of thing. They had signal conditioning equipment on there that you could set a level, and you could find out the level of the uh, of the bladder. Um, you know, of when it was when it was due for an empty, you know, just go you know, start redlining, and so then they just do a purge and and off it went. We saw that earlier in the movie when they were talking about the uh, the constellation Orion, um, and uh, the whole urine transfer system was developed um, originally in the in the Gemini days. The, uh, Gemini had uh, they had the uh, the urine transfer that would that would go outside the ship as well as uh, they had uh, Gemini came up with the uh, uh, the fecal uh, containment bags, which are these, um, they were large bags with like an O-ring uh, gasket on the top that you'd uh, place against your body and fill <laughs> fill the bags and then fold it up and, and store it. Um, so, I, you know, the, the, <laughs> it's terrible to think about, but somewhere somebody in NASA had a job of emptying out all the uh, spacecraft with <laughs> With all those containment bags, <laughs> oh, God. and they probably and they probably studied for it, and they probably had to uh, interview for that job. <laughs> so, uh, but quite a uh, yeah. Uh, but you know, only that's one of the things that came out of uh, out of Gemini was how to come up with the best system. They tried out different different systems. You know, e- these were even tested uh, in the vomit comet that they would see if they would work under you know uh, under zero gravity. So you had to have people. Uh, well timed because you only get forty five seconds to try out the uh, uh, the operation. Um, Frank once uh, Frank once described the Gemini process, and it was horrifying. That's yeah. all I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and he spent two weeks doing that. I mean, oh. Wow. <laughs> Ugh. Um, so you know, I guess if, I don't know how much you know if uh, if he and Jim Lovell <laughs> see each other much, but I can imagine they must have odd looks They're, between uh, the two of them. I feel that we need Jennifer Lavasser back for this. Uh, for this yeah, chapter. yeah. I, I I have to I have to put in a, a request for her. <laughs> <It's> gonna, <laughs> um, I, I'm just trying to picture you know as a as a museum man yourself, I would just I'd be fascinated in your thoughts on on how you would make an exhibit like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
You know, I saw one, and I don't, I don't remember where it is, um, but there was one of, uh, I think it was either the places that got a shuttle or maybe they got, like, trainers, but they actually had um, basically the toilets oh, right. um, from the shuttle, and they actually let you, like, sit on them and stuff. Wow. Um, okay. <laughs> I, I have to find out where that is. It might be the Heinz History Center in Pittsburgh that has that. Okay. Um, I, I remember seeing that though, and it was it was yeah, interesting. But I've heard of hands on, but that's uh, yeah. I've... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't use it. You know, no, you no, can't... no. But it's, <laughs> but you can, well, it's uh... why it, it's why they nail down the toilet uh, demo models at Lowe's when you go to the yes, hardware store. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, quite a quite an. Uh, you know the human body is difficult to uh, to manage in space, uh, filling up and emptying out. So uh, it's you know a lot of science involved in getting that getting that going. And uh, you know to this day in the in the, the International Space Station, uh, that's the height of uh, of plumbing technology is is orbiting the Earth at you know 375 miles altitude. Um, but anyway, it's uh, you know that's just an uncom- one of the many uncomfortable things that uh, that Apollo 13 astronauts had to face. And then uh, the other tough part of this minute was uh, they had to they had to shut down their navigation system, which um, uh, yeah, I mean you know in flying an airplane, just turning everything off and and hoping for the best. I can't imagine how um, mind chilling that is for somebody in space <laughs> t- uh, turning off all their their nav system. Yeah, I I can't even imagine that one of all the obstacles they had on this mission. To me, that's the one that's the most horrifying is the just shutting everything down including your navigation system and you're just you're just along for the ride yeah and they do they do talk about how um uh i think jim lovell in this one says that uh, sir isaac newton is now in the driver's seat and uh most people when they think of isaac newton they think of his three laws of motion which are you know are part of this because you know objects in motion tend to stay in motion but the reason that he's talking about sir isaac newton of course is uh Isaac Newton's uh, gravity equation, which um, everybody in high school gets gets the whole idea that you have two. If you have two bodies, they're attra- they're attracted to each other, and their their attraction is the product of their mass and uh, the inverse of their distance apart from each other. So all those heavy mathematical equations, which actually it's not that difficult a mathematical equation. You have the geometric the ge- the gravimetric constant of the universe followed by uh, the two masses all over uh, the radius, their dis- the distance of their center of mass apart. So that is a very simple equation. But Newton coming up with it in 1728 uh, is you know the, is the math that they're relying on to get them home. Um, I'm always fascinated that we knew we knew about orbits in se- actually we even knew we knew about orbits. Um, I'm trying to think about a hundred years before that, I think in like around 1600, 1610, that would be Kepler. Kepler understood Kepler's uh, three laws of motion. He understood that um, that planets orbit the sun, in and the the sun is in one focus, uh, one foci of the uh, one of the foci of an ellipse. So he understood how they uh, he understood what they did, but he didn't understand why they did it. Newton was the one that came up with the idea that it's an attraction between everything and everything else in the universe. Everything is attracted to everything else. And it's it's real easy to figure it out when you've only got two bodies, when you've got like the Earth and the Moon. 
But the problem is when you add a third body to that, like the Earth, the Moon, and the Sun, it's really hard to do the math on something like that. Or, you know, and then you start adding other planets into it. And the fact that not all the planets uh, are uniform, you know, uniformly, they have a uniform mass. Some of them are like lumpy and some of them aren't. So you've got asteroids and all kinds of stuff moving around. It's really difficult to calculate what's known as the perturbations, the little changes in two orbits from from uh, Newton's simple uh, gravitational equation. So that's, but that's, you know, <laughs> that's why they pay for those big expensive computers to, to make all those calculations. And, you know, turning everything off uh, and not being able to do it or having to do that on paper um, or relying on ground-based radar and ground-based computers, the, the MISFIN, the, the Mission uh, uh, Tracking Network, that must have been a real, um, uh, you know, it, it you get a little bit tense when you have to, when when Jim Lovell pushed that button. I'm sure he was pretty tense uh, uh, making that decision to to follow you know follow what Mission Control said. But that's that's what they did, and uh, it's fascinating. It's fascinating that we've known like you know the the math they were relying on was 200 years old when they when they decided to to uh, rely on it. That's how you know that's how long we've. It's not a it's not a new thing. We think of. We think of orbital mechanics as something that's recent, but it's very old. Um, you know, they had they had this before. Gosh, it was 1728 was when uh, 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 Newton came up with uh, Summa Mathematica when he wrote all these things about math and, and gravity. Um, but he, you know, that was four years before George Washington was born. Wow. So it's, uh, yeah, kind of... Uh... <laughs> It, it, it kind of floors you when you think about the history of how long we've known how the way the universe works. There's almost something kind of satisfying when mathematics or science that's been around for so long becomes pertinent to like what's going on right now. I always think that's just kind of a, a neat sort of look back at the past. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I always think about when I think of Newton and, and Newton talked about gravity and things. I was amazed that he he's the one that came up with the idea of the cannonball and the globe where you if you aim a you aim a cannon at the horizon and you you load it up with gunpowder and you fire it and when the cannonball comes out it starts falling toward the earth and based on the velocity that it's going you'll you'll know the distance of how far in that that arc that it falls and if you could fill up a cannon with enough gunpowder to push that ball so that it would fall in the same arc that is the shape of the earth, then it's an orbit. And he came up, you know, like the fact he didn't even have the equipment to do it, but he knew how it could be done. And it's just, if you make the cannonball fly fast enough toward the horizon, it'll go into orbit. And that just, that just always staggers me that this guy wearing, you know, a tricorner <laughs> hat and, and silk, you know, silk hose and things like that. And he was, wandering around while King George III was on the throne. It's just amazing that he knew about rock. You know, so, you know, he knew about oral mechanics back then. I just, wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, but just, uh, yeah, it's an amazing, and it's one of those things that um, I think, uh, uh, you know, people know, people know this, but they don't really know it in their heads. They, they, they can, under, when you see it described, I mean, I, I love going into, um, We've been talking about museums and things about how to show this stuff, but a lot of um, a lot of museums have similar uh, exhibits where they show how this, you know, how you eventually get into an orbit. And I'm always uh, fascinated that you can teach, you know, like a seven, you can show a seven-year-old 
uh, how this works. And a seven-year-old will go, oh, I get it now. And it's just it's just such a beautiful, simple <laughs> thing. I mean, the math is hard. The math is, you, you have to know a little bit about algebra and stuff and geometry. But the just the description of a cannonball flying around the, flying around the world because it was fast enough to come out of a cannon, um, that's something a seven-year-old can understand. So it's very, very reassuring to know that it, these are not difficult principles. Um, Stuff I, you can learn off uh, off cartoons when you're a kid, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think the the you know, although I think the Roadrunners messed it, messed up people with uh, not understanding that you, <laughs> you you don't exactly fall until you notice that you're standing beyond the edge of a cliff. That, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's a little difficult. Yeah, um, but it's uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's wonderful that that we know this and it's an established thing. Of course, I don't know how. I don't know how sanguine I'd feel about it being in a being in a spaceship and pushing the off button on the computer that was supposed to get me home, but uh, you know they they did it, so that's you know it, it's a nice thing. Um, and uh, I'm trying to think what else there there really isn't much else to this minute. It's just uh, uh, I do, oh gosh I am brought back uh, the very end of this thing as, as uh, we see a bunch of sleeping engineers trying to figure out. Uh, the simulation of the you know, of the ride home, and there's a bunch of uh, engineers sleeping on a raised floor computer room, and behind them are racks and racks of uh, nine track half inch computer tapes. Which back in the day, I used to uh, I used to work for Texas Instruments, and uh, we did uh, geoseismic uh, data processing, and I had to work in a room with, and I am not exaggerating. 300,000 of those uh those half inch tapes hanging on racks. Oh my gosh. And they went on for miles. I mean it was just it was there were um football field sized rooms full of racks and racks of tapes and the computer would come up with a list of uh tapes. I was what they at the time we were called tape apes and you had to go <laughs> you had to go grab like a dozen tapes and it would say get me tapes uh uh, 278403300360 and you have this list and you just run around with the list and it was like it was like picking picking books off a library shelf except they were tapes uh, to this day and this is like 40 years ago I can still feel on my arms sliding about 10 of those tapes five on each arm and running back to a, uh, a row of those old-fashioned uh, computer tape drives and hanging one after the other on the tape drive and hitting the uh, load and select buttons, and uh, it was uh, it just just seeing that makes me. T- I I feel like I want to grab one of those pillows and lay down on the floor. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a very familiar, very. Uh, I, I thank God they moved on to uh, disk drives and thumb drives because the- <laughs> early on when I started in the control tower, uh, the first tower I ever worked in had a tape like that because you know everything the controllers and pilots say is recorded oh yeah and yeah. back in the late 90s they still had the tower i was training at had an actual tape like that and you wow. had to get every and we knew every so many hours you had to go change out the tape like that wow. was something that we knew we had to go do it was really bizarre <laughs> yeah yeah i just i keep thinking i want one for my for my home just to have it you know connected to a pc and just have it randomly read a section of tape and then roll it back and roll it forward but the uh, the amount of power it probably uses is ridiculous. Um, but wow, yeah, these are. <laughs> I do not miss those days. I'm very glad we've moved on to uh, to thumb drives and or the cloud. The cloud is even <laughs> yeah. better. You 
nobody has to load up any of these things. I only ever had to change out the tape like once or twice, but oh my god, it was awful. I remember that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I even had um, they had these things that look like giant nail clippers, and the only way you could feed the tape in is if the if the tape had a little bit of an arc on the front of it, and you had a you'd you'd slowly you'd unspool about maybe ten feet of tape, and you'd slide it into the part where it would. Uh, vacuum vacuum would suck it in and then but it had to have the tape uh, just on a little a, a little crescent around the outside of it and uh if you didn't get the carrots and just right you'd be sitting there with a stupid clipper uh, <laughs> and they'd be going hey where's that tape where's... uh but just oh gosh so many so many memories here that just um <laughs> i'm gonna have to go lie down for a little bit <laughs> <laughs> i'll come wake uh, you up and let you know that it's very very a.m <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Well, that's the other part of it. I used to work the graveyard shift, so we're midnight to eight thirty in the morning. Did when you were on ATC? Did they give the 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 junior guys the worst shifts? Or did you wind up like? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, the tower, uh, you always had like you know figure working on weekends and stuff. Luckily, the airports, uh, the airports that I worked at. Uh, the GA fields, you know, the towers are usually open until about nine, and then they kick it over to a, an approach or somebody. Oh, okay. um, but uh, but you always just knew you were going to be working like holidays, weekends. Uh, <laughs> when I worked medical helicopters, uh, of course, we were there twenty four seven. So oh yeah, uh, spent a lot of you know a lot of holidays. You really became a family with these other people because you did spend yeah. holidays and stuff like that together. And um, yeah, it was pretty. Uh, um, yeah, and, a lot of a lot of a lot of cookies and turkey dinners, I guess, oh, Thanksgiving and Christmas. Yeah, yeah, and it was kind of you know there was part of it looking back that was pretty fun. Like at the time, you're like, ah, oh, you know, you're kind of gruff, like man, I'd rather be somewhere else on Christmas or something. But when you look back at it, it was kind of fun. Everybody brought something and made something, and yeah, and you spent yeah you spent uh, especially in the medical helicopter. It'll sound cheesy, and I know we're off base, but uh, you know the you kind of walked away with a feeling that you were working Christmas hoping that your Christmas present would be that you saved somebody's life and yeah. that you were out there doing something, you know, the, Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. And the t- there was something kind of romantic about working the tower on Christmas Eve. It was yeah. pretty cool. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. You could, you could wait for Santa. <laughs> yeah. Especially on the shifts that you'd come home from the tower. Like my family would just wait and have dinner later. Cause you know, I'd be home like nine or something, but uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it was pretty cool. Oh, awesome! Wow. Well, uh, we'll we'll leave this in the very AM uh, as as we as weekends here, and we're going to find out if they've had uh, more updates. But we'll we'll talk about that next week. Uh, when actually, as we're as we're first uh, airing this uh, next week, we will be celebrating the 50th anniversary of Apollo 13. So we'll have we'll we'll have some more discussions about that uh, up next week when when all this really happened 50 years before we were talking about it. Uh, but uh, if you if you would like to join us, uh, we're always available. Try us on Twitter. Uh, Twitter doesn't get a lot of love, but uh, you know if you want to talk with us, uh, go to uh, Apollo Thirteen Minute on uh, on Twitter. Uh, we can always talk there, and of course on uh, Facebook we have uh, Apollo Thirteen's Mission Control, where we're happy to, happy to chat about that and happy to be back here this week. Um, and of course, if you haven't missed any of the previous episodes, they're always available at Apollo 13 minute.com Apollo one, three minute.com. Uh, you can find us on all the usual podcasting places like Spotify and, uh, Apple podcasts. And, uh, what's the other one? Uh, Google play will be out there. Um, but join us here next week. Uh, looks like we're coming up on lost signal in about 30 seconds. So we will see you here next time next week on the Apollo 13 minute.